Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Profiling Criminal Minds. I My name is Haley and I am so excited to do this. Um, honestly, it's going to be a work in progress. Uh, this first episode might seem chunky and a little um, not as put together as I would like. I'm still waiting on some equipment to arrive and um, some different editing tools um, to get access to. So bear with me. We're going to do all the episodes. We're going to get through it. Um, My goal is one a week, but I'm going to try and get two out a week. That way this podcast doesn't go on for 10 years because there's so many episodes. Um, But let's just dive right into the episode. Um, I want to keep this first episode short and sweet. Um, just so I can get it out there as soon as possible and give you guys a taste and get feedback from you guys. Um, feel free to comment on the SoundCloud or on the TikTok or Instagram, which is at Profiling Criminal Minds on both Instagram and TikTok. Feel free to leave me comments or message me if you have any ideas uh, or if you would like to collaborate on a show with me. That is also an option available. So, As I said, let's dive right in. Season 1, Episode 1, Episode Title is Extreme Aggressor. The Netflix synopsis reads, When a fourth woman goes missing in Seattle, during the course of four months, the team is brought to profile her captor. Pretty basic synopsis doesn't give too much away. Um, Our opening scene is the woman looking at a Craigslist ad for a car. Uh, She gets in that car. It's raining. Um, as it does in Seattle, I've never been, but I've heard it rains a lot there. Um, I also watch Grey's Anatomy, so I know it rains in Seattle. Uh, so she, uh, is at the point where she's ready to get out of the car and the male driver continues to drive. That leads us to our opening quote. The quote is, The belief in a supernatural source of evil is not necessary. Men alone are quite capable of every wickedness. And that is by Joseph Conrad, that quote. I do love that quote um, just because it talks about how we really are capable of some pretty nasty things as humans. And something that I believe that this show does is show the good in people. Um, I'm going to try to go spoiler-free throughout these episodes in case people hop on that haven't seen the whole series. So um, I will just say I do love that quote because throughout 15 seasons of this, there is wickedness and evil in every episode. Some episodes are god-awful. Um, I just watched the season 9 finale last night, and you know that's just one where... It just shows how faulty we can be as humans. And I think one of the biggest draws to the show for me is just the goodness of the people that are fighting the crime. These agents, um, you know, there's citizens, there's police officers, there's field agents that are really out there giving it their all. Um, And so just the balance of fighting evil with the pure goodness of the people in the case. Um, So some case details uh, that I picked up throughout when I was taking notes of this, they hold the woman for 36 hours. Some of the methods of um, 
killing them that they used were strangulation with a belt, uh, which escalated to stabbing, which they profiled that it was a faster kill on working on becoming a better killer, kind of honing in on what that unsub preferred. Um, women are being held in cages and blindfolded. Um, when we find out later in the episode, they're being held in a shipyard um, and also are on camera. Some information about the unsub in our case. As I mentioned in the opening scene, we do see the unsub right away. We don't get to see a full face, um, but this unsub is deemed the Seattle Strangler. Uh, If you watch The Office, you will know the Scranton Strangler, so that uh, always makes me chuckle because I think of Toby Flenderson every time I hear Seattle Strangler. Uh, you know, and just the theories in the office of Toby being the Scranton Strangler. So this guy is deemed the nickname the Seattle Strangler. Uh, This is part of the profile that they presented early on in the case. He's in his early 20s. He has nice clothes. He's organized. He is smart. He has very good hygiene. They profiled that he drives a Jeep Cherokee, which is very specific um, and that struck me as odd that they would get down to that exact make and model. Um, obviously, he needed transportation big enough to transport bodies. But just the fact that they were like, oh, yeah, it's a Jeep Cherokee for sure. Like that just struck me as like, really? Like now you're just showing off. Um, so drives a cheap Jeep Cherokee. Uh, an interesting tidbit is that there was rape without penetration from the unsub so they are assuming that he's impotent using objects um and they're thinking because he is very narcissistic he's injecting himself into the investigation and that police have already likely interviewed him so now I want to get to just some notes that I have kind of in chronological order uh the scene Uh, opens up with Derek in the club with three to four ladies, I think. Um, Anyway, it's him with a bunch of ladies. And, you know, he's dressed to the nines. He's just a player right off the bat. Like, Chocolate Thunder is not playing. He's, you know, his phone rings, it says BAU, and they're all swooning over that. And, And he knows what he's doing. He's showing them his phone screen, his little Nokia non-flip phone that he has. Like he knows like, oh, I'm these these girls love good a good FBI agent and he, I'm going to work it. So Derek's a player right away. Uh we then see Gideon teaching uh due to a prior failure in a bombing case that killed six FBI agents. Uh he's teaching about profiling, lecturing and talking about the footpath killer and how you know his profile includes driving a truck and having a stutter um and he's just teaching these I don't know I'm not sure if they're college students or I think I think they must be incoming agents and trainee because at this point Reed walks in so I would assume that they're in Quantico headquarters getting trained to be agents so Spencer walking in and tapping the case file and just giving Gideon a look is probably the most iconic entrance of the episode. Um, Spencer 
in season one and especially in the first episode is just kind of like nerd to the max and I know there's a lot of Reed fans out there so don't come at me for this this was 2005 uh Matthew Gray Goobler was very young um and I'm sure the costume costume department just had a heyday with dressing him because he is just you know playing full-on IQ of 187 I'm a genius but have no social skills. Um, So he walks in and gets Gideon, taps on a case. um, And at that point, Hotch and Morgan and Reed and Gideon are in the office where Hotch hands Gideon a file that has a note that says, for heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. And the camera pans to that framed on the wall in Gideon's office. Um, It cuts to black for a second. No... Um, introduction just cuts to black. Next scene. So this whole episode, everyone is on edge because of Gideon's PTSD. Six months have passed since that bombing incident where six agents died, but that does not calm anyone's nerves at all. Hotch has to write a report about how well he does in the field and if he's able to be in the field. Um, Gideon is very, I don't want to say narcissistic, but very confident, very self-aware that he's good at his job. Um, so he's not walking on eggshells, but I feel like every one of the other agents are because they're constantly waiting for Gideon to slip up. Morgan seems to be the most concerned Um, he's constantly questioning every decision Gideon makes in this episode. And I wish we had more context to that bombing in this first episode, uh, just so we could see like how severe of an incident it was and if it really was all Gideon's fault or if he internalized a lot of it, um, because just Gideon as a character, internalizes things uh, and takes things personally and wants to take care of his team. So I feel like Morgan is high alert. Anything Gideon says, does. Um, He makes a comment about his body language, where he is placing his back. Um, So I feel like Morgan is just breathing down his neck this whole time. And to Gideon's defense, he doesn't even notice. If he does notice, he definitely doesn't care. He does not let it get to him. Um, Spencer and Hotch are kind of chill about it and really don't. I mean, they ask questions, but they're not. They're not as helicopter parent as Morgan is during the episode. Um, They make multiple Ted Bundy references in this episode, which I think was just criminal minds trying to establish a rapport with people. Uh, right off the bat of, oh, these people are dealing with these kinds of killers. Um, They do make another reference to another killer. Um, I didn't write that one down, but multiple Ted Bundy references. Um, So I think that was just their way of kind of showing what this team was about and kind of the crimes that they worked um, this episode also, I did not realize that it was the very first episode that Reed's sitting in the office chair and spinning in his chair. I see it all over TikTok all the time. People love that scene. 
And to me, it's just a really happy moment of, you know, I think he turns, I mean, spoiler alert, maybe, he turns 24, I believe, in season one. And so it just proves to me his innocence and just his maturity level that they are trying to solve a crime where four people have been killed and he's sitting spinning in an office chair. Very on brand for Reed. We then cut to a woman who asks for help checking her house out because she left it unlocked and is on edge. So this old lady calls down Richard. When I hear Richard, I think old man. So this younger man comes down the stairs, walks with this lady into her house, and immediately guns are drawn. L draws a gun and states FBI. So this character is L. L Greenway. She's introduced to us as going undercover and getting the suspect into the house. Um, as the agents are going through the house, we get the iconic a quote from Gideon where he says, uh, talking about um, trying and failing, and then Morgan says something, and it's quiet for like two seconds, and then Reed just quotes him, Yoda, which is also a scene I see all over TikTok. Um, and it is, it's an adorable, like, it's a, it's a great, a great, uh, humor in the episode that where where it was starting to get a little heavy. I feel like they really tried to play read up um in this episode as kind of uh the young level-headed uh not going to be bothered by the darkness of the job. Uh so they are questioning Richard Slesman. So some info about Richard Slesman. Let me pull that up. Um, he is very submissive when Gideon questions him. Uh, but he does come out and say uh, he has the articles of the bombing because he likes Gideon. Um, and he uses that knowledge to try and mess with Gideon. And to Gideon's defense, does not phase him at all while he's sitting at the table with Slesman. Slesman is very smart. Um and you can tell he's poking, prodding, trying to get Gideon to crack, to get upset, to get under his skin, but to Gideon's credit, he holds it together. Uh we don't see until later when he goes outside with Hotch that you know that did upset him a lot, but to his credit, you know, he's He's holding it together in that interrogation. Um, We get Penelope Garcia in one scene this whole episode. And Derek is asking her for help getting into Slesman's computer. And to my surprise, she tells Derek she can't do it. Now, any of you that have seen most or all of the episodes of Criminal Minds, the fact that Garcia just straight up told Morgan on the phone, sorry, can't help you, boom, hangs up, 
so not Penelope Garcia. So it's just funny that she's in one scene in the entire episode and Morgan asks her for help hacking into the computer and she says, oops, sorry, can't do it, hangs up. And we don't see her again. Um, So it's just insane. If you haven't seen all the seasons, you are going to be blown away by the magic that Garcia can do. And you'll look back at this and laugh and think, really? Like, you can do X, Y, and Z, but you can't get into a computer that needs a password. Um, So Derek kind of took over that role, and he seems very skilled with computers, which um, now that I'm back in the first episode, I'm like, Derek, what? Like, you don't have these skills, but he does, at least in this episode. Um, So then Hotch starts to interrogate Richard Slessman um, and starts to tell him that Vogel's talking. Meanwhile, they don't have Vogel anywhere with them. Vogel is a prison guard that protected Richard Slessman when he was in prison and is revealed to be the dominant of the Seattle Strangler group of two. So Hotch gets Richard Slessman to confess that he's holding them in a shipyard. So Gideon and L head to that shipyard. Gideon pulls a very narcissistic move and is baiting him, baiting Vogel to shoot him. And he really beats him down, really talks a lot of smack to him. Um, and at one point, Gideon, he has his arms out wide. He doesn't have his gun drawn and he's really talking shit to Vogel. Like, do it. Oh, you can't do it. You, There's no way you can do it. You don't have the strength to do it. Um, Vogel eventually has had enough and he turns his gun and fires at Gideon He gets one shot off, hits Gideon in the arm, but behind Vogel is Al Greenway, who ends up shooting Vogel fatally. Um, Gideon has kind of a smile on on his face and tells Al to go check on Vogel. Um, And then we cut to morning time. Um, We just kind of get to see the rest of it play out. Again, they're questioning, Morgan basically is questioning, did Gideon do his job? What are you going to write in the report, Hotch? And Hotch says this girl, this last girl that he had is alive because of Gideon. So that's what I'm going to write. Which I think is Hotch's way to be like, Morgan, chill. Like, you are overthinking this. This is fine. So on the plane, we get some cute scenes of Morgan and Reed sleeping. Um, At this point, Elle is not a member of the BAU. She is just working sex crimes in Seattle. Um, And it's at this point that we get the closing quote, which appears multiple times in throughout this the series. So the closing quote is by Nietzsche. And it says, when you look long into an abyss, the abyss looks into you. I'm going to read that one more time. When you look long into an abyss, the abyss looks into you. As we get further along in this podcast, I'm going to, going to discuss what that quote means to me. Um, but yeah, I just want you guys to keep that in mind and really kind of 
develop your own thoughts on what it means to you. So the next thing I want to talk about before we get to the last segment is the fashion. As I said earlier, it's 2005. The show came out in 2005. So we're not expecting a whole lot of good fashion. Um, Everyone is business formal. Derek, Hotch are in suit jacket and tie, which, spoiler, is typical for Hotch. Spoiler, not usually typical for Derek. Derek looks great in the suit and tie, but it's very funny to see him all dressed up. Um, Reed wears sweaters this whole entire episode, um, and I feel like the style nowadays, I said I work, um, I don't remember if I said or not, but I work at an elementary school and we have school uniforms. So a lot of kids will wear like crew neck sweatshirts with a collared shirt underneath and will like pull out the collar over the crew neck sweatshirt to look, I don't know, like, I don't know. I feel like that's just like what you do. It looks more professional and cute because I work with little kids, so I can say that. Um, But Reed does not, his collar stays in his sweaters, so he definitely looks like a little bit of a dork. His hair is slicked back. Um, He's just rocking these, like, wool sweaters while the other males are dressed to the nines. Gideon's a little bit laid back, khakis and a a button-up, but I feel like that matches Gideon's style more. Um, It would be weird, I think, even just after this episode. If I was watching this for the first time, it would be weird to see him in a suit and a tie. Um, Elle is rocking that leather jacket. Uh, she looks great in that. And then literally in my notes, I have, what in the world is Garcia wearing? I might have to put a picture with this in the comments, because if you know Penelope Garcia, like, when I say her name, I'm sure all of these things just pop into your mind. I don't want to spoil anything But she's wearing, like, tan on tan, like something Dwight Schrute would wear. Like, sweater and a sweater vest, like, mustard and brown. Like, it is is awful. Like, if they would put anyone in that, it would be awful. But the fact that that's what she was wearing, just awful. Like, she looked... I mean, Kirsten Vangsness always looks good, but she, oh God, I don't know what they were thinking putting her in that. Like, I don't know if she picked it out, if the costume department picked it out. Um, I'll have to go back and look and see if BJ was part of that, and I'll have to shoot her a message and ask, like, uh, girl, what were you thinking dressing Garcia in, in uh, season one? Um, but yeah, that was my last note for fashion was what in the world is Garcia wearing? Um, and the last thing that I want to talk about for this episode is the agent of the case. The agent of the case is I'm going to pick one every time. It could be, um, a BAU member, a field office member. It could be a police officer, um, just someone in the episode that stood out that, is going to get the coveted title of this tiny podcast that probably no one's listening to of Agent of the Case. 
So, drum roll, da 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 agent of the case is, and this might be controversial, Jason Gideon is my agent of the case for season one, episode one, Extreme Aggressor. I chose Jason because I felt like there was so much pressure on him, and he obviously knew people were watching him, but he was able to compartmentalize enough to do his job. Did he bait the unsub enough so that he got shot at the end of the episode? Yes. Now, as someone with a little bit of background in law enforcement, like, that's probably not how they would play the situation, but the unsub was taken care of, a girl was saved, and he did his job. Um, And just throughout the episode, we see how much this past failure six months ago has affected him. And for him to join the case on such short notice with no choice, they basically told him, you're coming with us. Uh, And for him to just dive in headfirst and to really take lead, deliver the profile to the police, um, play into that narcissistic mind of Vogel, and to eventually save a life, that's what it's all about. Um, so he is the agent of the case for me. And while he is the agent of the case, we need to discuss what happens at the end with my beloved agent of the case. You think the episode's over... We see Gideon pull up to a gas station. He sees that the cashier has a bunch of pictures, Polaroid pictures behind him. The gas station worker has a stutter. And he drives a truck. Which is all in the profile from the footpath killer that he was teaching on in his lecture. So... This episode ends with Jason getting a shotgun pulled on him. So, he is my agent of the case because of how well he performed. And for them to end it on that note with Jason, it just goes to show how crucial of a character he's going to be. Um, I do, however, want to preface that I do think... Jason Gideon is a narcissist. I do think he has some qualities that definitely need fixing. But in this particular episode, like I said, he really just pulled through. So, I haven't seen the next episode for a long time. But I'm assuming slash hoping that it picks up at the gas station with the shotgun at his head. So that is all I have for the first episode. Um, I'm probably going to listen to this back and be like, this is awful. I'm not going to release it. This is horrible. I'm not going to do this podcast. But I'm going to put it out there anyway. Um, Criminal Minds is something I'm super passionate about. um, And I love, 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 love the fan base. Um... If you happen to know who I am, you know I love AJ Cook more than anything in life. Um, So if you're an AJ stan, holler at me. I also love Paget Brewster with my whole entire being. She tweeted me that she loved me once, and I think about that at least once a day. Um, This show has changed my life, truly. 
Um, so even if this sucks, I'm going to put it out there. I also just want to add that I do have proper podcasting equipment coming so that I can have guests on the show. So as I mentioned, if you are interested in being a guest, please, please, please message me. Um, there are so many wonderful Instagram and TikTok creators out there that I would love to have on the show. Uh, just so we can get different opinions and so people aren't so sick of my voice by the end of it. So this is all I have for episode one. Um, Leave me feedback, message me feedback. Um, If there's anything else you would like me to talk about, again, this is just kind of trial and error for the first few episodes until we really find our groove here. Um, But I'm very excited and I'm super thankful for the people that have reached out and said that they were excited. So we're doing it. Um, yeah, we're doing it. Episode one down, only what, 323 to go? Ah, okay, everyone. I hope you're having a good morning, a good afternoon, a good night. Um, I appreciate the time you took to listen to this. I'm very thankful for you all, and I'll look forward to talking to you next episode.